People like games. Presents. Be at some point in the day show with Solo. What is up, folks? And as per usual, welcome back for another evening of Late Night Gaming Talk. It is Thursday, January 23rd, and today I'm going to be talking about nothing by myself because I am going to be joined by our first ever guest. We have games journalist Anthony John Agnello, formerly whose career includes publications such as Digital Trends, Games Radar, Engadget, The Escapist, AV Club, and more. We talk about Dragon Ball Z, Street Fighter, esports, business models, favorite games, sentimental, literally everything you could think of. It's a great conversation. And without me making this episode longer than it needs to be, because we had a pretty nice long conversation, I'm going to just let it jump into it. And so we uh, hope you enjoy. And thanks again to Anthony for uh, being our first ever guest. Introducing our first ever guest over at the At Some Point in the Day show. Anthony John Agnello, welcome to the show. He Thank has, you for having me. <laughs> of course, he's worked over at Engadget, Games Radar, Digital Trends, and was formerly the editor over at Games Beat and The Escapist. Uh, his most recent works can be found over on The Ringer, includes a great oral history of Halo 2, which we'll touch on, a great history on Tony Hawk Pro Skater, if you're a fan and remember, and um, continuing work as a freelance writer. Where else can uh, people find you? Uh, I am all over the place. I was actually hoping that I could talk uh, on the show about my next full-time gig. Unfortunately, uh, I have not yet signed on the dotted line, so I can't talk about that yet. Uh, But I also host two podcasts. I host uh, the Continue Podcast, which is actually a modern incarnation of Joystick's old podcast. If we have people listening who actually remember Joystick at this point, uh, rest in peace. And I... Yeah, I know. I know. I I also host a uh, very, very niche podcast called Video Game Grooves, which is not just about video game music. It's video game music on vinyl. Uh, Super, super niche. Well, there's particular particulars everywhere. And so what better place to find on the Internet? And so listeners... You heard it. What are the socials for those? Or they're all. Uh, you can follow us uh, at ContinuePod and VG underscore Grooves. Both of those on Twitter. Perfect. And then, uh, you know, I'm excited to find out alongside everyone else what the new full time gig will be. Uh, and uh, happy to hear that's come along. But now, you know, these interviews always have that little awkward initial like <laughs> space where we try to figure out like what to talk about and a topic that we could sort of branch off of. And so rather than sort of do that and sort of die in that space for about two minutes, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Yes. What are you playing? That is the way to do it. I love that, man. Yeah. Never never exist in the like, so what have you been up to? No, no, no. What are you playing? What is the last thing that was in, in a controller in your hand being played on a television? All right. It's all Akira Toriyama all the time. Uh, I am playing Dragon Ball Z Kakarot which is wonderful. I mean, it's pretty janky, but it's wonderfully janky though, right? It's wonderfully janky. I haven't played a dragon ball game 
in uh, uh, like a decade and a half at this point. And I love CyberConnect 2. I am so happy to see anything coming from those guys at this point, especially after the Final Fantasy VII remake was taken out of their hands. Uh, yes, so, so it's it's great. It's just such a fun game. It's just so pleasant. Uh, and I have also been playing uh, Dragon Quest 2 from 1987. I've been playing the Switch version of that, which is horrendously ugly as I, its I reputation it on because, Twitter. like I'm not familiar with the Dragon Quest franchise and I was like I it's like a book series like you always want to go back to the beginning because it's I'm playing The Witcher 3 and I, to a degree I feel I'm cheating the entire appreciation of what I'm playing by not going back to the first one but I'm just like oh, so bad looking No I'm not you're doing you're doing the right thing the, nobody should play The Witcher 1 The no. Witcher 1 was CD Projekt Red trying to figure out how to make games, uh, and they didn't quite get it the first time. <laughs> but you, you want to like be like, I love this thing. It's like, did you, well, did you play all of them? And I'm like, oh, well, about yeah, right? that. But I do love the iterations that they figured it out though. But um, yes, yes. So that is very cool. That's very cool. So you're you're uh, rotating back and forth. I have wanted to play Kakarot because I do agree with you that it's been a little odd in terms of what they Dragon Ball Z games have been up and down. I thought Fighter Z was pretty interesting because it was the first one. It felt yeah. like Marvel vs. Capcom 2 really to a degree in just DBZ form because that 2D cartoonish element fighting doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I, I liked Fighters uh, Fighter Z. I liked... You know, I, I I think I played the first Budokai like, almost was, 20 yeah, years Budokai, ago at this we're, point. We're, it is the first Budokai. We're the Budokai Dragon Ball Z GT Final Bout Generation. Like, yes. For the people yeah. who don't know that game even exists, like... That that's where I like rocked out on, and then people are like you play. The, you do you watch Dragon Ball Z Kai? I was like, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, what? What? Yeah. Like, I was like, are you asking K? Like, do I watch it? Okay, but like, <laughs> no, I do not watch it. K. Um, but it back somehow. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Sailor Moon's gonna follow along. It looks like all those tsunami shows from that era. Man, I would, I, I've been waiting for a halfway decent Sailor Moon game uh, since 1999. I just, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I wonder why. I wonder why they would uh, serve half a market and not serve the other because. Well, yeah, it's weird. I mean, you there have were... experience, like, because you have more direct contact. You have the ability to talk to some of the direct. What is this? My, I mean, has, has it ever come across to you where they have the ability to, like, adopt or adapt a certain property and they're sort of like, I don't know where the market is. And you're like, how do you not see the market? But Right. Well, the li licensing issues with games are, it's very, very strange. Who's Who holds a license? Who has exclusive rights to a license? A lot of big anime franchises are typically locked down and owned by a single publisher. And, you know, we have tons and tons and tons of Dragon Ball games. And these days they're published by Bandai Namco and they're, you know, pushed out the door by all sorts of different uh, external studios. Yeah. CyberConnect 2 are the ones who were contracted to make uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, for example. But the thing is, is Bandai used to be a separate company from Namco way back in the day. And Bandai has held the exclusive rights to, I think, all 
Shonen Jump related manga characters in perpetuity. So Bandai, you know, made all the Dragon Ball games way back in the day. They made all the Sailor Moon games back in the day. They made all the One Piece games back in the day. And before they joined up with Namco, all of those anime titans were pretty much all terrible. Yeah, I was just all gonna of them. Say, they, they got the game development part alongside their licensing arm. Yeah, uh, yeah. That Okay, so that, that would explain that. That would explain that. And so now... Taking a wild jump away from Dragon Ball Z, let's now shift our perspective a little bit wider to the larger gaming industry and esports. What are some of your predictions for the upcoming year in gaming, particularly now that a lot of the large titles that were going to ride out the final year of the current generation have been pushed back and it looks like fall 2020 is the bubble. What is happening from now to then? Well, in terms of esports, I think you're going to see two interesting things happen in the console space. We're a couple of weeks away from Capcom starting to wind down Street Fighter V. The the door is going to start closing there. You're going to see uh, Street Fighter V uh, Championship Edition, I think they're calling it, Mm -hmm. ship out, and it's got. They're now just not even pretending that they want to make money on the add on content of characters and costumes and stages. It's just all on the disc. They're going to try and do one last consumer milking of Street Fighter V, and you're going to start to see them sort of lay the groundwork for Street Fighter VI to step in and sort of replace Capcom's esports presence uh, globally. Uh, And, you know, I, I would not be surprised if we saw a teaser for Street Fighter VI by the end of the year. I don't think we're going to see something at the PlayStation 5 reveal when that happens this spring. I do think we will see it before year's end. Maybe we'll see it at Evo. I'm not 100% sure. But the fact that Championship Edition is coming out, the fact that they're putting all of that content right on a disc and saying, let's get it out the door, I think you're going to start to see competitors in that space start to be like, well, let's get ready for the next thing. And you already see sort of... uh, big figureheads in the Street Fighter community start to talk about their dissatisfaction with what Street Fighter V has become. Uh, Daigo Umahara, you know, one of the most famous Street Fighter competitors of all time, uh, legendary playing Street Fighter III almost 20 years ago at this point, was talking recently about the fact that, you know, they're adding air dashes into Street Fighter V and why even call it Street Fighter anymore? So I think that V is going to start to sort of make its way out. That's going to be a big eSport trend that you see over the course of 2020. I think the other thing that's going to happen is that this fall, when the Xbox Series X, what are we even calling this thing? I, they, they they took the very wrong lesson from the iPhone naming conventions. <laughs> the, the awful, the, you know... They, they zoomed their naming. The fact that I am incapable of referring to the Xbox from 2001 as the Xbox One, the fact that I can't call it that is a failure of brand. Hold on. See, this is this is actually going to tie into a similar question to what we're talking about right exactly now, which is the Street Fighter one, which is Xbox Series X, right? Their yeah. branding and what they're selling and how their future of gaming is molded is being completely poorly sold. So at what point do they just stick with the name Xbox, right? And right. So same with Street Fighter, right? Do right. you see this year a trend, something like that coming? We're, if we're moving to subscription <sighs> models, right? Does it make sense for... Overwatch 2 and the next Call of Duty and the next Street Fighter, shouldn't it just be Street Fighter 
and oh. then they add on the, the models there? Or do you think it's still going to be a continual, you know, one-off release cycle? Ahmad, that's, that's an amazing question. That's an amazing question. I'm, I'm of two minds on this. On the one hand, I think that having a singular brand is incredibly strong if you're doing it from the start. You know, if you sit there and you put something out in the world, like I do think it's kind of crazy to call something Overwatch 2. I think that that's, I think that's a little nuts. Especially if you have an Overwatch League. Right, especially if you have an Overwatch League. It's going to create confusion. It's going to split the audience. And you've seen this fail for Blizzard in the past. StarCraft 2 will never, ever, ever have the draw that StarCraft did when it was just StarCraft. Um, That said, I think that, you know, there are, that doesn't necessarily hold true for individual products. And this actually ties back into the point that I was headed to. You know, I think with Street Fighter, the esports audience isn't the pure audience for that game it is a niche of that audience Mm -hmm. it represents an enormous revenue pool for capcom they make a lot of money from the esports world they make a lot of money from the people that aren't even competitors in the esports world they like people who watch however that series has an enormous audience beyond that Mm -hmm. there are millions of people who just 10 years ago bought street fighter 4 en masse on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 because it was called Street Fighter 4. A number at the end still holds a lot of power. It's why Sony is sticking with that naming convention with their consoles. All of that said, you know, I think that releasing something that's called like the Xbox Series X and they're just maybe gonna call one of them Xbox and pairing that with a game called Halo Infinite, smart. Yes, I think I think that there is a lot of logic there because Halo was this incredibly powerful brand 20 years ago and now not so much. Yes. And making a product that is called Halo Infinite, implying that it will go on in in perpetuity Mm -hmm. is an intelligent approach. Like you're saying to just sort of having the name and continuing to update it. And it is similar to what, I mean, Smash did, which is what you were saying. Tie it all in. Because I Tie think people in. are willing from the disparate elements to be like, I want this character. I want this. Well, well here's all the fucking characters in one place. <laughs> and you guys figure it out with every stage. What do you got to complain about? And they know that the money is not coming from the specific character buys. They're coming from the model. Like, you did you play Mario Kart Tour? You're paying for the different versions of the same characters or the skin. Sure. The Whatever the case, they end up being. But... Now, I think one of the reasons we're not seeing this line of thing is going to be based on my next question, which is mm. there is a lot of thinking in esports now that's coming from VC and traditional business entertainment media world, right? And when sure. they come in, they're bringing an old, slight, an old world media model into this. And so now we're seeing all of these esports leagues turning into... Uh, forms that are analogous to the traditional sports leagues and they're trying to geolocate them and now we're seeing the troubles that causes like overwatch league travel and call of duty having to restructure the schedule after it's released after realizing you know and there's things like that where i'm like do you think something like counter-strike go which has decided to not marry themselves to that idea and even valve themselves not allowing exclusivity with the leagues is a better idea than 
you know, why is there so much mimicking of the business ideas where esports was growing itself based mm. on the uniqueness of its structure based on a community? You know, that was the agreed upon reason. So why are we importing sure. a model over the top that affecting the people at the base who care about it in the first place? Yeah, it's it's really tricky. I will not pretend like I am enough of an expert in you know the financing of esports leagues. Opinions, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I don't know anything about this, and let me tell you how I feel. Exactly. No. Uh, from here, like Colbert used to say, speaking marketing. Right, right. I I will say that uh, an enormous factor in that is the fact that you are starting to see investment in esports leagues and you've been seeing this happen over the last 5 years you know this is in 2020 this is thing this is something that was starting to happen in 2014 2015 you are seeing traditional old sports money particularly uh, nba owners come in and start buying up uh, teams uh, whether they're overwatch or call of duty teams uh, and you know, they are thinking we have a proven business model here, which is you geolocate your brand and you build up a local audience and that local audience will spread out to different tendrils as young fans go to college and, you know, move to other cities. And you can keep the sort of merch and interest train running within that. Um the reality is, is that isn't necessarily bearing out as a revenue model for esports. Uh, you know, Got combo man coming. Yeah, uh, and that is a, a huge concern. Uh, but at the exact same time, we we just don't know. You know, uh, there was there was no such thing as Overwatch League even four years ago, and to say that anything is going to fail or thrive in such a short period of time, it, it, it's just impossible to predict. You know, uh, four years ago, people thought that Heroes of the Storm <laughs> competition was going to be a big money draw in the world of esports. And I think I'm the first person to say those words out loud in two years. So true. It's, it's true. Right? It's, it, we're, we're in such a nebulous period that I don't think that there is... There's no way to tell definitively if they're right or wrong. I will say that you're right in saying it's weird to try and shoehorn an old model onto something that is inherently different. Yeah. Uh, because, it, it, you know, yes, there is enormous money and there's enormous opportunity in uh, live esports presentation. People love going to a big tournament. They love being in a huge venue like Madison Square Garden. At the exact same time, that is such a fraction of the audience that watches it in non-traditional ways. Mm -hmm. You know, there there's always going to be a bigger streaming audience for a major Overwatch tournament than there is a live audience. Yeah, and, and, you know, generation, and as you're speaking to the years, like, you, sports is generational. You can't 
you can't build a model over and and especially now what the problem is a lot of the money coming in is expecting very quick you know flips on the returns and these business models are being built heavily on overhead and expecting that overhead to come right back in just as quickly in as we were talking about with the events and the you know content consumption model and it's like uh, there's a ceiling there and it's not what you thought it was going to be or it's not as quick as you think it's going to be there's yeah. pains uh we're in, we're in a, so the initial two-year excitement that the last two years of saw is going to give to a year of growing pains uh, absolutely um that's natural that's natural but speaking of growing pains is there a reason you have never decided to make the jump from writing about games to writing for games you know, there was a period a long time ago where I thought that I was going to go and create really weird narrative adventure games. Uh, I was accepted into uh, the <clears throat> Carnegie Mellon uh, Entertainment Technology Center program in 2010. And I, I had this moment in 2010 where they said, you can uh come to school here, go to our branch campus in Portugal for a year and start learning to write weird indie games uh, and working with teams and head down that road. Or at the time, I was just at the beginning of my freelance career. I hadn't even been an editor full time with a publication. And I was I had just started seeing the woman that became my wife uh, at the time. So 10 years ago, I had that moment where it was Am I gonna move to Portugal? I don't know Portuguese. I don't. I don't know how to make games. I, I just. I. I like to write uh, things. You know, I don't speak Spanish, Baxter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I. <laughs> so I. I made the decision to uh, pursue journalism in the 2010s. I was going to say. A brilliant idea. (laughs) What beautiful timing. I was going to say, I I started college in uh, uh, 2008, and I was studying journalism, and that that industry was dead by the time I graduated. I was like, that was quick. Um, But... As you say that you got married, so shit. What's the what's the worst that came out of it, right? It was it was all it was definitely the right choice. I'm glad I I would not want to be anyone other than who I am right now. And life is long. I yeah. I, was I don't say there's there's interest in one day. Yeah, yeah of course. sure. I uh, you know in the past year, a really good friend of mine, Peter Smith, uh, the latest team member to be hired at a studio. Uh, MDHR, the creators of Cuphead, uh, he just joined them, and I, I helped, uh, I helped do consulting and all kinds of feedback on his most recent game, which is called Witch Eye, and so I, I've, I've poked around the edges of actually making a game, but it's uh, a one day when the right situation presents itself at the right time. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. As life goes. But uh, now we're going to jump into a few quick questions uh, that we do sort of roll off the top, but they are very meaningful questions. So we're going to do quick, meaningful questions. So first, what is it about games that make you prefer them to other mediums, say television, film? You know, I, I would never say that I 
prefer games at the expense of other mediums. I have always been more interested in Whoa, games. Never, never at the expense. What puts, yeah. it, so what puts it the notch above, not in contrast to, but for a reason in itself? Why games, not why not other things? Right. Video games are a conversation. A film is a passive experience, which is not to say that like you're not engaging with the work itself. You're not, you know, deeply involved. Uh, video games are the only art form with the exception of, say, installation art where there is active dialogue between you and the work itself. The work cannot be expressed unless you are touching back. You know, if you go to a concert, you are being vibrated by the tones that are being generated by the instruments, but you are not generating the music. A game can only exist if there is also a player. And that is fascinating to me. That's a great line. You should write that down. And write that down. <laughs> what is the first game you have a vivid memory of playing? Uh, the very first game I ever played was Defender on the Atari 2600. I was four years old in 1986, and my brother, who's four years older than me, sat me down and insisted that it was time I learned how to play video games. He, he took it in his, in, his, in his brotherly love. He decided that this was the moment he needed to train me to do the things that you needed to know how to do in 1986. Just in case uh, someone ever had to clown his, his family, you gotta make sure they knew. Exactly. So I got big brother, I know the game. Yeah, so I, I, I sat down, I tried, I tried Defender in 1986, and uh, shortly thereafter, he upgraded me to allowing me to play the NES that was in our home. I was, uh, I was only I was only allowed to touch the Atari Twenty Six Hundred because that was the baby toy. But <laughs> then, the stripes. yeah, I got to earn the stripes. <laughs> I earned the stripes. So then it was like you know Metroid, Kid Icarus, Punch Out, uh, etc. So and then, and then the run began, but it all right. started on right. Atari. Yeah. And running into the new consoles, favorite console of all time. Hmm. Man, this is so hard. I go back and forth on this all the time. I think that pound for pound, and I'm gonna cheat. I'm just, it's just gonna happen. I'm gonna cheat. It's gotta be the PlayStation 2. And I'm gonna go with the PlayStation 2 because it gives me access to the PlayStation 1's entire library it's at the true. exact same time. It's true. Uh, and it's just, PlayStation 2 was that system. It was, it was that system. Omnipotent, which always surprised me when I hear PS4 sold more than PS2. I'm like, but- It hasn't beaten it yet. It hasn't beaten it yet. Beaten it yet. PS2 is still the best selling home console of all time. And the PlayStation 4 will not catch it. it, it it has it has sold faster than PlayStation 2 has, but not which as is many. The, but not as many. I, I large, think what, what, what's a cumulative? Is it a large cube? Because I'm like, there's no way. Because sometimes I see those comparative charts, and I'm sure it's just the wording of the headlines. Or I'm sure. like, but the PS2 is the PS2. There's no way you could sell more than that. The, the PlayStation. It's just like the Gutenberg Bible. Was manufactured. They didn't end. They didn't, Stop manufacturing it until 2013. It was being made for 13 years. That is crazy. Amazing. FIFA was coming out on that thing until 2017. Oh, good it's, lord. I, yeah, dude. Well, yeah, the PlayStation 2 was unconquerable. Unconquerable. Uh, yeah, and like, you know, name... 
Name a single experience you couldn't have on that machine. It was everything, every kind of game you could ever want to play, and even the weirdest, most experimental shit that you can imagine was accessible on it. I discovered Ratchet and Clank on my PS2, so I can't disagree there. There, there you go, man. Now, jumping in, one piece of literature or an animated series you would love to see made into a game that does not exist currently. Oh, man, animated series that deserves to be a game. Uh, whew. All right. It, <sighs> all right. I, I, now, now I need to go with one that hasn't been a game before because the, the one that I desperately want to exist is I would love to see a really good game made out of the old cartoon called Reboot from the mid-90s, which was all about people living inside of a computer. And it was the hackiest, dumbest thing in the world. But they made one for PS1. It was god-awful. So maybe strike that. Uh, I will go with, instead, I want a traditional pixel art action RPG made out of Hayao Miyazaki's movie Castle in the Sky. Yes. <laughs> That's, yes me, and me, I, it, and that is a perfect, perfect marriage of who should have their art and a game married. Yes. Yeah. I, I would give anything for that. That would rule. That's an incredible answer. <laughs> That's an incredible answer. And now we're going to move to the last one of these sets. Your most sentimental memory associated with gaming. My most sentimental memory associated with gaming. That's another one that, I'll, you know, I, I want to be able to say right, I'll give something you an more recent. So for yeah, me, no, I, it is yeah. Halo, uh, which is why your, your article, Halo lands setting up the console in two rooms with two big ass TVs and eight people playing Capture the Flag on Blood Gold. I think back to those and I'm like, that was being a, a kid because there was shit all to yeah. do and that was it. The biggest thing was who won <laughs> and who got to talk shit for the week. That was it. So uh, that would yes. be a sentimental yes. memory for defined within the past. It's it's so hard to pick one. Uh, here here is the first one that sprung to mind. This is 2011. My wife's name is Catherine, and uh, I was sitting in my shitty studio apartment playing the newly released Atlas game by the Persona team, Catherine which is all about a 30-year-old guy who's trying to decide if he's going to finally marry his longtime girlfriend, Catherine with a K, or start sleeping with a, a sprightly uh, blonde named Catherine with a C. And uh, it's all about like his anxieties about uh, adulthood, uh, uh, you know, getting a good job and marriage and having kids. And... She walked into my home uh, two days before I was going to ask her to marry me, and I'm playing this game, and she's like, what the hell is this? And I was like, it's about Catherine and the guy who wants to marry her. And as she's, she's asking me questions, she starts moving towards the coat rack in my home to put her purse and coat on it. Meanwhile, the engagement ring I have hidden in the pocket of one of the coats thinking she'll never look in the coat rack. And it was just this perfect confluence of existential dread, elation, 
and playing a game that seemed to be reflecting my world in a freaking absurd way. That's some Sartre shit right there. Just sitting in right? the room for that, shit, that moment to end. Like, yes. how does this go? Just frozen. And it all worked out. The game kicked ass and she said yes. So here we are. Here we are. Well, some things in dreadful moments sometimes turn out for the best. So take that as a lesson, listeners. Um, shitty <laughs> moments uh, potentially aren't shitty moments. They're actually great moments with hilarious yes. stories in retrospect. So never, never say never. And um, I guess to start winding down a little bit. I've already got 30 minutes. I don't want to hold you up for too long. Uh, I guess I got two more questions for you. Which esports league do you think sort of runs dominant for the year, other than League of Legends, which is sort of, I guess, the global NFL or the football of it, you know, soccer? Yeah, you know, I I think I do think that we're going to start to see a dip in interest in Overwatch. You know, I think that Overwatch has. Overwatch invested so much in establishing the league and its teams that it came at the expense of the general player populace. That game went from being a thing beloved across all of video games to something that had a very tiny core following and then the esports world. I think that that attrition that you started to see around Overwatch is going to continue. I mean... Can they reboot it? I two is not the answer. It's just not. Numerics uh, isn't the answer. It further, it's, it's not the answer. Uh, I also, I would love to say that Halo is going to be ascendant. I would love to say that Halo Infinite is going to reestablish Halo. Oh, it will. It will. I, I don't know. I, I, I right, like so it will I'll, for a little I'll make, while. I'll make this bet, like right. So if what we were talking about in the beginning, right? So there's no game. Well, unlike Halo, which hasn't captured the extent of the esports boom right now, what right. was everyone looking for when Call of Duty Black Ops came for came out? An alternative to Fortnite. What were people looking for when Modern Warfare came out? An alternative to Fortnite. What are people looking? It everything is how good of an alternative to Fortnite can you present to yes. capture that larger populace? And so when I combine the groundwork I see Xbox doing, which is actually one of the things we I talked about last week on the one of the episodes, which was Xbox gave up the the hardware war. They're like, I don't care about selling this anymore because it was like we were talking about with the single subscription model. If you're not going to buy an Xbox, but you'll buy my subscription model and you'll pay play it anywhere. Well, over the course of a year, I made money off you even if you go because the real money is in accessories anyway. And subscription has this margin because they own majority of the things. There's a cost of production. Then there's infinite you know, more or less profit in the reproduction of it. And it's all just lending games out on a cycle. So when you circle that back in to their business model, you have let's reach as many people as possible, right? What did Fortnite's advantage have, right? Every platform that was, oh, I can play my phone against this. Okay, so we have all that put together. There's a hole that people are waiting. Halo's not jumping into this with the league the way people knew Call of Duty was trying to line it up for. So now you have a game that comes out, hopefully well-made and sort of isn't a burden or a victim of its own expectations or of of consumer expectations. Yeah. So far be it, it lands. It lands successfully. It builds. Mixer has been getting a lot of investment, right? 
Yeah. And then I see Ninja went, and this actually touched on this in the beginning. Now I'm going to circle this around. Ninja left Twitch. Why? Well, Ninja left Twitch because an enormous paycheck and, and a potential and, audience. And, and a you, potential audience. So, no, but you know Halo Infinite. He knew Halo Infinite's coming out. Microsoft. It's coming. So they were like, okay, we're bringing out Halo Infinite. By the way, yeah. you're telling me by 2021, we're not going to hear the inaugural Microsoft, Microsoft presents the inaugural Halo League on the mixer featuring Ninja. 100%. Because who started, yeah. who started in Halo? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not wrong. And he already you're... squeezed out all of the Fortnite kids audience and he wants to bounce back. And people love Halo. Halo was an across the board. And lastly, customization. Uh, Ahmad, I'm 100% with you. And I think that the- But those the... are all optimist trends. I, yes, and they're all contingent on one very, very, very important but simple factor. <laughs> Halo Infinite has to be good. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like <laughs> right. The, the <laughs> beginning dominant. I, I was like, besides that, everything else. <laughs> like the the groundwork has been laid for Halo to come back huge. And you're right, Microsoft and especially the Mixer team have done everything they can to prepare. to prepare for the like the rebirth of the halo league mm -hmm. and they're gonna have the player the streamer they, they're gonna have everything mm -hmm. but if the game isn't good then all of those points are moot because guess what they have now had a decade of fucking this up <laughs> under their belt they fucked it up in halo 5 was a great game though <laughs> not enough shelf life i like okay Halo 4 is a very, very well-made game that I really like. It is too aesthetically distant from all of the things that came before Someone it. Someone told me Halo Reach is their first game ever. I was like, get away from me. <laughs> get out of here. Get, get the go home. Your conversation, our conversation is over. Your opinion is lost. <laughs> yeah, you were saying. Like, oh, man, I... Wait, Halo 4 is good, but Halo 5... Halo, okay, I, Halo, Halo 4, Halo 5, Halo Master Chief Collection. All things that had very real benefits, but such extreme flaws in different ways that they were never able to truly capitalize on the cultural and technological moment yes. that, you know, like the fact that Halo as an entire franchise has been 100% absent during the decade of streaming and social media should tell you the extent of their fuck up. Shocking, because the basis of all, like, sort of this gaming content, basically even on your article, is founded on Red vs. Blue. And so yes. when, you, when you're birthed in industry and then you're not acknowledged as the birther and you're trying to make a comeback, there is a chance, as you say, that a generation lost is a generation lost and we are a group that's excited, but we're, we're not the youth. We're yeah, not exactly. the youths. And exactly. in high school, but... The hope is that Fortnite has become so dated or played by that point that any alternative becomes an option. But as you said, all dependent on it's it's got to like and we have to accept the fact that all of the the landscape is there for it to be Halo. But it could be something that we have no idea what it is in 2017 at the beginning of 2017. Nobody had any idea what Player Unknown's battlegrounds were, and now yeah. in 2020, nobody knows what Player Unknown's battlegrounds are. Fortnite came in and said, "Hey, Epic, 
We here at Tencent are tired of wasting our money on the development of this weird Team Fortress slash Minecraft clone that you've spent a decade building. Copy this other thing that people are talking about. And then it became the infinite money machine for three years straight. Cell shading graphics. If Halo it ma marries that in any manner, the softer the graphics, the larger the market base. I There's no gameplay yet, though. So what, what is there to go off of? They already signaled that, though. I mean, that initial teaser was so much more colorful and cartoony than Halo 5, you know. Oh, they know what they're I, doing. They know what they're doing. Right. I... I yeah, we'll see. I mean, it could, it, I, I would love it if it was Halo Infinite, but I think it's just as likely that it could be something we've never even heard of. Could be just as likely as to be Black Ops as it is exactly. Halo Infinite, right? Yes. So expect your $60 and your $60 battle pass the next day. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, um, not much more to sort of cover on this end. Uh, I guess we sort of touched on all the the gaming esports topics. Um, I did want to just circle around and say I loved your articles on the Ringer. It is uh, rare to find long-form gaming articles that are that good. And Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is just really made me feel dated. Like I just remember playing PlayStation and just dropping down through the glass, and I'm just like hearing the soundtrack in my head, and I'm like, Good God! You keep saying 20 years. That wasn't 20 years. That was five years ago. Ten years ago it was 2000. Uh, but uh, aside from that, you, as you said in the beginning, what is uh, your socials? Uh, do you have any uh, pieces coming sure. up? Uh, yeah, I, oh, I, I wish again. I, I was so I was so hoping that I could tease things specifically, but instead I have to do the nebulous tease. Uh, I can't even talk about my next Ringer feature right now, unfortunately, which sucks. I was really hoping that I could talk about it with you. Uh, yeah, I love Bill Simmons. Uh, yeah, dude. And working working with the Ringer over the past few months has been great. They're wonderful. It's a, an incredible establishment, and I've adored, adored working with them. Uh, I will say you can follow me on Twitter, at a John Agnello. Uh, you can... Go there and just uh, look for absurd, really shitty photoshops of Admiral Akbar. It's a thing that happens. Uh, you can also, again, listen to my other two podcasts, Continue Podcast and Video Game Grooves. Just search them on Apple and Spotify. They will come up. And otherwise, yeah, go go to uh, the AV Club as well is the other place that I'm still writing for these days. Uh, yeah. You heard him. Head there. Find, find the man before... He finds a new gig, and um, but thank you again for coming on, and uh, we look forward to having you as a repeat guest. Hell yes. Right, thank friend. you, man. No problem. 